Last week, we talked about uh, this theme that kind of runs through the book of James. Who loves the book of James, right? We love that book. And uh, there are some core themes that kind of run from the first chapter to the last. And the readers of the book are encouraged to make a decision to trust God and to rely on Him. Really, as you go from chapter 1 through chapter 5, it's encouraging us to push aside the world's false comforts and the world's false um, reliability and false gains and to make a constant decision to follow God and His plan for our lives. And it requires for us to trust Him. And so we get to the end of the book of James and we get to chapter 5, and it says this, James chapter 5 Verse 10 says, For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So it says here that the prophets and, and even Job, who, uh, who went through suffering as these men did in the Old Testament, they trusted God and they knew that they were looking to Him and that even though there were things in the earth or things happening to them that they didn't like or even didn't understand, they trusted God and God was faithful. Amen. And so it encourages us in James to put our trust in God because things, there'll be mountaintops and there'll be valleys, there'll be things that we like, things we don't like, there'll be times that are peace and sometimes that are not peace in this earth and in our lives. And to fully trust in God through it all, that's what it's telling us. And then finally it says in verse 13, it says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Everybody say we should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come over and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And it says, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then it has a a period here, and then really it's almost another verse here. It's partway through. We have this, this, uh, uh, basically this little block of this, we called them nuggets last week, this nugget in the Word of God, which is so powerful. But really, it's within the book of James, so it should be looked at within the context of the book that basically this whole book is talking about us turning away from the world and turning towards God. The reliability uh, of the world is is false, and that we should be trusting in God. And then we find this guy, Elijah. So it says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Verse 17, because it says, Elijah, everybody say Elijah, was as human as we are. He was, or your version of of text might say he had a nature like yours, or he was like us. Elijah was just like us, except when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three 
and a half years. Then, verse 18, when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. So what the Bible is saying here in the book of James is trust in God, not in this world. And it talks about the double-mindedness, talks about the wavering. We become single-minded with God. We trust God. And the Bible says when we do that, that something begins to happen. Uh, something begins to take over us that even though we're human, everybody, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to say, I'm human. Just acknowledge it. Just acknowledge that you're human. Thank you for everybody's participation in that. Because <laughs> Dawn didn't. <laughs> she did it quick. We're all human. And so uh, we all, I love, there was a preacher who said it years ago, and I've taken, I love it. He says, we're all like the rest of us. And it's so true. We're all like the rest of us. But what the Bible says is that even though Elijah was human, when he prayed earnestly, he was actually able to hold back the rain for three and a half years. And then when he prayed under the Lord's direction, uh, it rained again. So what I want us to look at today was this. Elijah was human. Everybody say it again. Elijah was human. And that means that he thought and he felt like us. He had a human mind and human weaknesses. Now, if he was human, then he must have had human weakness. We know that because you can read through his story. We're not going to read through his whole story today, but you read uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18 and 19, you'll read he was still a human being. Uh, he even finally, you know, after doing some things for the Lord and fighting, and we're going to look at that in the coming weeks, he finally says, Lord, you know, I can't even do this anymore. So we see that he had weakness. He was a human being. But what I love about Elijah and this character and this verse is that he kept himself separate from the world and its sin. He did mighty miracles like the one we read in James. And he even raised a boy from the dead. Yet the Bible tells us that he was Still a human being, which means, it means this. Our own humanity is not enough to keep us from doing and seeing the same things Elijah did. It means that even though we are human, it means even though we have weaknesses, it means that we should do the same thing that he did. And really what I want to look at is, we're going to look at some text here, is that Elijah was able to speak to the rain and tell it to stop, and it could not rain, and then spoke to it and told it to rain again because Elijah had learned to trust God. Elijah didn't learn faith. Elijah learned to trust God. And you could call that semantics and arguing, well, faith is trusting God. But sometimes we can put faith in our faith, and really we need to have faith in God. Amen. So the Bible says that he prayed. So I want to just ask us a question. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? We pray because something is beyond our power, right? Most of the time when we pray, sometimes we pray for good things. Sometimes we just pray, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. And many strong, mature believers do that. But I would say the immature believers, and especially the world, does not do that, do they? 
They don't thank God for his goodness. They just pray because they're in a tough situation. I'm in a tough spot, so we pray. So just prayer itself is really what? If we really boil down the basics of prayer, not, I'm not talking about the mature believer who has learned to pray and learned to trust God. I'm talking about just the very base element of what prayer is. It's this. It's that something is beyond our power, it's beyond our abilities, and it's beyond our strength. Now, when you get to the place like Elijah did where he could speak to the rain and tell it not to rain and it would listen, it wasn't that now he had suddenly learned a strength within himself. He had just learned through the brokenness and through the humanity in himself that he was weak and he had no strength and had no power in himself, that he had to rely on God, and he saw God's faithfulness, as we're going to look at in a moment, so that when he was asked of God to do something that was beyond himself, he was able to do it because he knew who his God was. Everybody say he knew who his God was. And so we reach out to God, who is a specialist in the area of the impossible. What this means is that uh, really when we pray, we are believing God can and will do what we are not humanly capable of doing. Amen. So first Kings, I want to look at Elijah. He kind of comes out of nowhere. Did you ever notice that? There's really no preface to his story. He just appears in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. And here's Elijah. 1 Kings 17 verse 1. But we can learn a lot about him right in his very first intro. It says, Elijah who was from Tishbe and Gilead, he told King Ahab. Now, King Ahab is the king of Israel, right? He says, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives, right? The God of Israel lives. The God I serve. So we know right off the bat, 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah says, it's not just God. He's not just God out there. I'm not just talking about a God. I'm talking about this is God who I serve. Amen? God is the God I serve. He's the God I serve. And there will be, the Bible says, he said, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So what does the Bible say happen? The Bible says that in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, the Bible says that Elijah said, I'm serving God, and God gave me a word, and now I'm speaking it to you, Ahab. There's going to be no dew or rain during the next few years. Now, Elijah is kind of in the scene here suddenly, but in the book of Kings at chapter 17, where even though Elijah appears suddenly, Kings is in the middle of, of a crisis. This King Ahab uh, had married uh, Jezebel, and I'm going to get more into him in a minute, but basically they had brought some things into the land. They brought some false God, a false idol worship, and God had given them lots of grace. I want you to say that out loud. God has given us lots of grace and lots of grace. <laughs> He gave Israel, when you read through your Bible, he gave them lots and lots and lots of grace. In fact, he gave them, sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. He sent them signs. 
He sent them the word. I mean, eventually he even sends them his own son and they crucify him. So God, we could never really, we have no right to point our finger at God and say, God, you should have told us, you should have warned us, you haven't done enough, enough for us, you've abandoned us. We have no right because we know that uh, the Bible says that if, if there was more he could do, he would have done it. That's what the Bible says. In other words, he's done it all, and pre-Christ here in the book of Kings, God had given them so much grace. But eventually, everybody say eventually, God will judge a nation or a people that continue to reject him, even though, I'm going to say it again, they've been constantly and thoroughly warned. Eventually, God comes in to judge them. So let's go back before I get a little bit more into Elijah and in him trusting God. I just want to set the stage here a little bit more. And let's just look back here. So the Israelites, uh, they had traveled through the wilderness. Remember the Israelites? They left Egypt and they, and they were freed from Egypt and they had gone through some things, you know, there to learning to trust him. Who knows? They learned to trust him in the wilderness and it was dry and it was barren, but God had supernaturally provided for them and God had given them manna. God had gave them water from the rock. He had split the Red Sea open, right? They were, said, we want meat and he sends them birds, right? I mean, God had done everything supernaturally to provide for them and show them who he was. And finally, after a whole bunch of drama, as normal, and I love this. See, it's not just that Elijah's human. I'm going to give a little poetic license. What the Bible should say is, Elijah was as human as every other character in the Bible, comma, as human as we all are. Yet, when a human being trusts God and prays and believes God, God will bypass their stupid... <laughs> low-thinking humanity, and do something supernatural. Amen. So right here, we've got the same humanity, and they had gone through a whole bunch of drama. But God says, all right, I'm going to bring you into your promised land. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to do something supernatural here. And finally, I'm going to restore what I promised all the way back. I mean, really, Adam and Eve, uh, you know, uh, as, as far as like in a garden, I mean, we, could, we don't have time to get into it, but Adam and Eve lived in peace and prosperity, and they lost it. And then he promised Abraham, right? And, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again. And then finally, all these years later, they're about to go in, and God says this to them in Deuteronomy 11. Who loves reading through the Old Testament and seeing God's Word? I was just meditating recently. God has not changed Jesus, literally, the Bible says that Jesus stands and he pleads for us in heaven, even present tense. God is actually still God. God the Father is still God the Father. God of his word, God does not change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What has changed is that Jesus is literally pleading before the Father and, and asking the Father to look through his blood with grace at us. And it gives us more time than we deserve, and we're just so thankful for that blood. And then as believers, we learn to savor that and love that, and, and we become thankful for it, right? We thank him for it. The world doesn't even know it, though, but they are actually are given grace from the blood of Jesus, aren't they? without even knowing it. And who's thankful that before you were saved, that that blood was standing in the gap for you 
until you got saved, right? So we know that that's the Bible. So, but God is the same, and God tells him, he said in verse 8, he says, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Because it says, be careful to obey every command I'm giving you today so that you may have strength to go in and take over the land you are about to enter. So God's about to give them their land, and he encourages them, listen, I'm going to do it. You're going to take it over. But I'm telling you today, I'm warning you ahead of time, be careful to obey the commands I'm giving you. It's going to, it's going to, and he's going to get into it. In fact, you could read through all of Deuteronomy, and, and you could, and he kind of mirrors this over and over again. This is not the only time he says it. He says, uh, if you're careful, if you're careful, verse 13, and you obey the commands I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, then, listen what it says in verse 14, then he will send the rains, everybody say the rains. This is a key, right? Where Deuteronomy comes before 1 Kings. Anybody getting the story where this is going? Okay. He'll send the rains in their proper seasons, the early and late rains, so you can bring your harvest of grain, new wine, and olive oil. Verse 16, he says again, be careful. So this is three times just in Deuteronomy 11. Just in these few verses, he says it again. Be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Don't let your heart be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods. So God had warned them, and he warns them over and over and over again that there's going to be a temptation. It'll be very easy for you just to take the culture of the world that's around you. Basically, the world that you are in. I called it last week the flow, right? When I was a teenager, we called it against the flow, right? Because there is just a, there's a flood. There's a heavy, heavy current moving in a particular direction, and that's the way of the world. That's the thinking of the world. And as soon as you turn against it, right, who has felt the current of turning against the so-called norm, quote-unquote? So the Bible says, be careful. Don't be deceived. He says, if you do, verse 17, everybody say, if I do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. Wow. I think we should read these verses more often. Just be reminded that God is still God. It says, he will shut up the sky and hold back the rain. And the ground will fail to produce its harvest. Then you will quick, quickly die in that good land the Lord is giving you. How many times, listen, the moment that something goes bad in someone's life, what do they do? They point their finger at God who they have nothing to do with ever in their lives. But the moment something bad happens, I hate God. God, you did this. I did nothing proactively to make my way prosperous. Like it's this, this chunk of scripture is mirrored again, right, Dawn? In Joshua, to make your way prosperous. I did nothing to trust you, God, but now suddenly when things turn, you're the reason, and it's your fault, right? That's the world. Verse 26, look, today I'm giving you the choice. See, there was a choice. 
The Bible is very clear. I always say the Bible is really for children. It's really, it only gets complicated because we complicate it. But the Bible is a children's book. It really is. It's so simple. If you just read the words for what they say and not try to make it something. See, we don't like that God judges and God does things, that God pokes the earth at times in ways that we don't agree with or like, and things happen to the earth or happens to us. We don't like that. So then what we say is, oh, well, that's the old God. That's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament God. That's just history. And so we make all these excuses up, which the Bible never says, but it makes us feel better. But if we just read the Bible for what it says, God told them, I'm giving you a choice between a blessing and a curse. There's a distinction here, a blessing and a curse. And if you know your Bible and you read, you've read your Old Testament, he gives them the choice between blessing and cursing through the entire book of Deuteronomy, right? It's a bit repetitive, and yet at the same time, I understand why God is repetitive, because we don't listen. As I've said many times, you gotta, we have to be told something over and over and over and over and over again, right? Until we finally listen. So God knows that. God's the best teacher. He's the best father, right? Who has had to learn something your whole life, and you just wish you would get it, but you're stubborn and you still haven't gotten it. But you know what you're supposed to do, but you're not doing it, right? So God says, I'm giving you a choice between blessing and cursing. And he says that you will be blessed if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, but you will be cursed. Not I will even, God doesn't even say I'm going to curse you. He just says, you will be cursed. It's really on you. It's, I'm give, I want to bless you. God wants to bless this world. God wants to love us. He still loves us. In fact, even when we hate him and curse him, the Bible says that while Jesus was on the cross, I mean, I'm taking a little bit of license here, but because the Bible says while we were still sinners, while we were still sinners. So the Bible says, basically, if you put the picture together of the Bible, Jesus is on the cross and he's crucified. And he looked ahead 2,000 years ago at us denying him, being disobedient, even pointing our finger at him. And he stayed on that cross anyway and said, I love you and gave us a choice. And he said, so, I mean, that's really God's heart. And he said, I'm giving you the choice. You're either going to be blessed or you're going to be cursed. Who would rather be blessed in this church and not cursed? Anybody want the curse? <laughs> we want the blessing. Yes, we want God's blessing. So it says, but you will be cursed if you reject the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from him. So what is the key? You're blessed if you turn towards God. You trust in God, you'll be blessed. Now, I don't try to define that. I've talked about that before. Don't try to define blessing by the world standards. It's not things. It's not 10 houses or lots of property or uh, things that you can honestly even understand with your human mind, all right? It's honestly, I've seen God's favor on my life be much more valuable than money, right? Who has had God give you favor in a situation that you shouldn't have gotten favor in? You're thankful that you did, and he pushed you through something. Amen, right? So I want to be blessed. I'm not going to try to define that, but I don't want to be cursed by God. And he tells me, the only way I'm going to be cursed here is, it's very simple. If I turn away from him and I worship God's 
I've not known before. They were going to go into it. God had trained them to trust in him. And then what happens is human nature is, oh, what's the world's opinion? That's what happens. God teaches us. He gives us a principle. And then we want to go out and pool the world's opinions. to find, And we're going to fine-tune God's word by their opinions. And that's exactly what happens here. We're talking, this is 4,000 years ago, same exact story as the USA Today. And so we get to Kings chapter 17. Elijah shows up, this nation that was founded by God. It had, had completely turned their backs on God. This nation had turned their backs. They not only stopped worshiping God, but Ahab, the king of Israel, he marries a daughter of a surrounding pagan nation. Her name was Jezebel. Everybody knows that name, whether you are a Satanist or you're a Christian. Everybody knows the name Jezebel. She's not good, is she? Right? Everybody knows that name. And so she is not only just a daughter of a pagan nation, but she actually brings her pagan religion in, and they worship this, this uh, false god. His name was Baal, B-A-A-L. And he was a pagan god in the shape and picture of a bull. And so they build a temple to him right there in Israel, Samaria, technically. And they build a temple to him and begin to worship him instead of God. Now, anyone with eyes to see, come on, I know we don't want to look like this because it gets... It gets funny because we don't want to judge, right? We've been taught so much not to judge that then we don't judge anything. <laughs> we need to judge some things. We just, we don't want to judge. I don't want to look at John and judge John and be like, oh, well, John's doing such and such. And we, you know what that type of judgment is, right? Instead, the Bible tells me to pray for him and to love him and give him grace if there was an issue that I think I see. At the same time, we think then we can't judge anything, and we should, be, we should stop and look at this nation and see that God's hand of judgment is clearly upon it. It doesn't mean he doesn't love it. Now, let me, I didn't even finish my breath. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love this nation, and that doesn't mean that God's plan for this nation is not still good. Amen. He still wants what's best for us just as he wanted what's best for them. And thank God, I'm getting ahead of myself and, and even into the weeks ahead, but even this story... God doesn't judge them forever. It's three and a half years, which is not fun during. But even still, it was a period of time to hopefully get them to look to him. Why does God judge? It's just like a father who puts their child, let's just, let's make it 2021. He puts his fa their children in timeout. <laughs> Why does a parent put their child in timeout? I don't think that works. But anyway, you want to do that, that's fine. It's because hopefully you won't do what you've been doing any longer, not because I just want to prove how powerful I am to you, but because what you're doing, ultimately, if I let you do this for the rest of your life, you're going to end up turning out not just, you know, like going the wrong way, but where do you think murderers come from? You ever just stop and actually, Elijah actually got obsessed with, um, and I think it's pretty cool. He actually got obsessed with murderers, not the murderer, but to figure out what did it take. So he started looking at all these stories, and I thought this was so cool. He found out that most of the crazy, creepy, dark murderers, if you boil their story down, a parent abused them, somebody made fun of them, they had a rough childhood, things happened. Now, it doesn't justify what they did, 
but something happened to them. And the thing is that you have a choice to deal with hurts and bitterness and things that are going on and around your life, even things that are not fair. And you have a choice. And what happens is that if we don't follow God and trust in him, even when even the abuses, even the unfairness, etc., God will judge us. He will do what needs to be done so that we get into a so that we have to turn to him and trust in him. I'll just leave it there because I could go on for that for a while. But ultimately, God allows it because it makes us need to require him and lean upon his grace. Amen. So anyway, back here in, in King 17, they have abandoned God. So and God is judging them. And 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 in many ways, when I look at the US, we are, I don't know that we're like deep into it, but we're at least on the edge of a judgment, a judgments of God. We're at least turning the page into it because we've just we've pushed God out so far. Now, God's grace is still here because we're still here. Amen. We are still here in this nation. This is my land, this is your land, right? <laughs> From the New York Islands to California. Right? And I stand for this flag, and so do we all. And we will stand. And we're going to stay faithful to the Lord and claim that we are believers and believers for the USA to the very last moment. Amen. This is where he put us, and the Lord told us to pray for your land. Jeremiah, right? 20 or 30, 31, somewhere around there. And he says, pray for your city's peace, and you will have peace. Right? We pray for peace in the USA, and it will bring peace right to us. Ultimately, we want to experience it as well, This because this is where we live. So, But nonetheless, there is still judgments coming, and there are things happening. And I, I want to encourage us today, because the Bible says this. Let me just continue here, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really encourage us, I hope. But it says, Baal uh, was put up instead of God in their nation, and they worshiped this pagan deity in Canaan. That's where this, the land that they had come in. It was Canaan. It became Israel. Now, what's interesting is this false god was the god of fertility, all right? And so that was a portion of his, of his powers that applied to their women. But also, what I found so significant is, guess what this false god Baal was known for? He was known as the God of rain and dew. So God, <laughs> God was tired of the bull. You know what? God's tired of the bull today, too. <laughs> God's tired of the bull. And he removes his hand of blessing in this once fertile land. He's like, fine, you want to serve? You think that your you think your prosperity comes from your hand, from your... You think if you do this, this, and that in the world's fashion, you're going to copy the ways of the world? You're going to forget me? And you think you're going to be prosperous? Fine. I want your false god of prosperity to take care of you now. I'm going to show you, not because I just want to show you how powerful I am, but I want to show you that... If you trust in this world, it will fail you. If you trust in the gods, the falseness, the false security, 
of this world, I'm going to show you for your own good, not, again, to hurt you ultimately, but for your own good, so that maybe you'll turn to me after this, and you'll see that I'm the true God. So it says in 1 Kings 17.1, he says, there will be no dew or rain. So God deals with this bull, this bull God, and the very thing this so-called God was Lord over, God would show that he is the only true God and that he is the real God over the dew and the rain. Now, what is the purpose of dew and rain? We know very clearly it's very easy. You don't need to be an advanced a science major to understand food and water, right? That's what it all comes down to is food and water. The, obviously, the rain is water itself, but all of our food would be uh, not able to grow without the dew and without the water. So we need water. We need food. Our vegetables need water. Our grain, our crops need water. Our animals that give us meat, you know, we could say, fine, we don't need you, God. We'll just eat meat. Isn't it funny? They're just like, oh, we don't need God. We'll just create babies in, in science labs, and we'll just create food out of nowhere and nothing. Like, this is where it's going, and this is not sci-fi. I mean, it's not sci-fi anymore. This is what they're really doing. We don't need you, God, anymore. Isn't it interesting? Isn't this crazy? We don't need God anymore. We'll just do our own thing. Wow. So pull the dew and the rain, and you have a drought and equals famine. Okay, so Israel had chosen the world instead of God. He did He warned them, and warned them, and warned them. And this was—it wasn't just Deuteronomy 11. It was—it so, was literally hundreds of years of warnings. They finally uh, don't listen. They come into a famine, and here they are. So now they're hungry and they're thirsty, and there's dust storms, and there's and and they're in this rebellion towards God. But as believers in Jesus. And those who trust God, I want you to understand this, and I want us to be reminded of this. We are not of this world. Now, we apply that as we're not, in the, we're not part of the sin of this world, but also you need to understand that we are not of this world. Remember Jesus who was in the world, right? The Bible says be in the world, but not of the world. Jesus was in the world, and yet he walked on the sea. Jesus was in the same world, and he was human, right? He came into humanity so that he could be, his blood could equal my blood and your blood. So he was human, and yet he was not of this world. He walked right across the sea, and in fact, even Peter, who was definitely human, who knows Peter and loves Peter, he walks on the sea when he does what Jesus was already doing, which was living outside of this world, he's in this world, but Jesus is not living by the dictates of this world. And when Peter does exactly that and puts his eyes on Christ and takes his eye off of this world, what is Peter able to do? Peter walks on the sea as well. So as Christians and as believers, we do not live by the dictates of this world. We are in this world, but we... We not only don't become like it and its sin, but we also, and, and its ways, but we also are not under the heavy hand of this world and its curse. Which means this, and we're going to look here in 17, it continues, it means this. It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishbe, so go on, verse 1, there's no dew, there's no rain. So verse 2, it says, the Lord said to Elijah, go to the east and hide by Kirith Brook, 
near where it enters the Jordan River, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kirith Brook, east of the Jordan, and the ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. The nation was cursed, but the believer wasn't. I want you to understand this. Even in a time where God judges the nation. Now, I want you to understand this as well. It was not easy. Elijah, I don't know where he lived before, but apparently he couldn't live where he used to live, and he has to move. He has to follow a very specific strategy of God to survive. So I'm not telling you that when, when judgments come and when God does things that you just get, everything's just normal necessarily, right? We're trying to define that normal and new normal and old normal and Christ normal, and I don't, let's just throw that out. And, and this is the key. Elijah here trusts God. So wherever God is, that's where he wants to be. And he knows that wherever God is, there's God's blessing and his protection and his provision. If he stays in the world when God is doing something in the world, he's going to suffer the fate of the world. But this is the key. Even as believers, when we trust God, the disciples followed Jesus and they were incredibly blessed. In fact, the Bible says they have thrones in heaven that they sit on with Christ. I just can't even imagine that. Sitting on thrones today with Jesus. And yet all of them endured terrible, incredible suffering for a little while on the earth. And here's the key. God will bless his people, and that promise really cannot be broken as long as we don't break it. As long as we just keep looking to him, he's going to bless us and take care of us. No matter what happens in the time ahead of you in your future in this nation, that does not mean you can't look around and be like, well, I see all these things, so obviously God's not blessing, he's judging. It's possible for God to bless and judge at the same time. Did you know that? The Lord had put that in my spirit back in 2019, and, and Jeannie and I have talked and from different texts, but had some very similar thoughts of this, and we've talked about this now for a couple of years, but that God had uh, shown me a while ago about coming into the Valley of Jehoshaphat, and the Valley of Jehoshaphat means judgment, but also the name Jehoshaphat means blessing. So it's the valley of judgment and the valley of blessing because for the world, what happened in the valley of Jehoshaphat? The world was judged because they were trying to touch God's people, but God's people were blessed. Amen. So even if things are to come and things will come in this nation and God does it for the best and for them to turn, those that trust in him like Elijah did, the Bible says you will have food and water. And which is interesting, because we can go all the way fast forward, we can fast forward, uh, I don't know, it's a thousand years or something like that, to Jesus, all right, so we're talking like a millennium, to Jesus, and Jesus tells us the same exact thing. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Isn't that interesting? 
Seek me, look to me, trust in me. That's what the world worries about. You look to me and I will take care of you. So Jesus promises us the same exact thing that we actually get to see it in a story form here with Elijah. Aren't you encouraged? The text says that even though there was some trouble coming in the earth at that time, and Elijah, who is a man, he's a human, so he has a human need. I need to eat, I need to drink. He probably... I mean, it doesn't say it here, but if he's human, then he's probably wondering, what's God up to? What are you doing? You know, like, uh, things are drying up here, and uh, Lord, I need your help. And the Lord gives him a strategy and says, yes, things are drying up, but I'm going to take care of you. It's a little bit different than what you're used to. It's a different place. It's a different situation. But I promise that I will not fail you. I will never forsake you. There's going to be a brook. It's going to give you water. It's going to give you food. And so he trusts him, and God takes care of him supernaturally. And so people wonder today, uh, does God still judge? And I think let's just put that on the shelf for a moment and just call it irrelevant. And let's look at the story here in the Old Testament because there's no... Uh, way to get around it, God was judging, and while God was judging and things were out of whack, Elijah was being blessed. Amen. Now, 1 Kings chapter seven, uh, 17, verse 7 says, and now this is amazing, who's encouraged? Anybody encouraged yet? The Bible says, 1 Kings 17, verse 7, it says, but after a while, everybody say after a while, after a while, the things that used to work, I trusted God and leaned on God. God told me to do this. It was strange. It was different. I gave everything to the Lord. I gave him all my heart, my life. I gave up everything. I left my home. I end up here. Didn't even want to be here, but I trusted God or whatever your story is. And then even that, it says, after a while... The brook, isn't that the brook that the Lord sustained him with? Dried up. There was no rainfall anywhere in the land. I was thinking about this. God is supernatural, and sometimes we try to over-supernatural God. Sometimes we think that doves, and this is interesting because a raven literally brought him food, but sometimes we think that, you know, like, Lord, I need to pay a bill and so you think a dove's going to fly into your room and drop money. And then what happens is, is you get a call and you have to go do a job that you don't want to do, but that you don't realize that that job is going to pay for the bill that you just prayed for. But we're waiting for God to bring a dove in and just drop the money. And I just was thinking how sometimes we try to over-supernaturalize. Even though, it, that, is that not supernatural? You get on your knees, you say, Lord, I need help. I need you to take care of me. I need to pay this bill. And the Lord's like, here, go do this job over here that you didn't have before. But like, that's not supernatural because that's something I have to do. And I find that the Bible is like that. God is very, very supernatural and he's just as supernatural today. But the problem is we miss it because God works supernaturally in the natural. He fed him, don't forget, through, I think what we forget is this is a natural brook. And even as supernatural as it is for the raven, that's a, a, a physical, natural raven. It's doing what it does. It's carrying food to and from its nest. Instead, it's carrying to and from to my mouth. Kind of weird and kind of gross. But it was, 
it was still natural. So sometimes God is trying to take care of us. He's trying to bless us even in heartache and hardship. But what, we're, what we don't even realize is, is that we start cleaving to the ways of the world and to the comforts and the things of the world in those times when instead we're going to have to actually have to keep our eyes on him and, and have him direct us in what will look natural but actually be very supernatural ways. Does that make sense to anybody? Has anybody experienced that where that can actually be a picture to you and not just my words? I think God allows more natural hiccups and bumps in the road than we would like, is actually what I wrote down. You read through all of the stories of every single Old Testament character and New Testament character. Look at Paul. Paul had tremendous victory and so much revelation that he says God had to, God had to do some things in my body, you know, keep me relying on his grace because my revelation was I was so high in the clouds. And yet Paul is you know, has a hiccup here and hiccup here. And I mean, we're calling them hiccups or more than hiccups. But let's just leave it like that for today. Is everybody all right? So I'm wrapping up, but it says this. It says that the Lord said to Elijah, verse 8, he says, I want you to go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, is God not powerful enough to just supernaturally fill a stream, just one stream on the whole earth. Isn't God capable? I mean, he's the one who created the water to begin with. Why does he do it this way? I mean, I have some couple of quick points that I think I could say that maybe, but instead of trying to do all that and figure out the maybes, instead, I think what we need to do is just, we need to keep our eyes on God and when we're in strange times like we are now, and, thing, and we don't know how to figure out everything that's going on, instead, instead of trying to figure it all out, we just need to see that God is opening a door over here, and he's opening a way here, and he's doing this here, and instead of trying to figure out the streams and the brook and the ravens, just say, yes, Lord, okay, I'm going to just follow your ways, and I'm going to head this direction because that's where you are right now. Amen. Does that make sense? So he went. And yes, he, of course he does, because he's Elijah, because <laughs> he trusts God. I mean, this guy literally, ultimately, doesn't even die. God takes him straight to heaven. So he obviously trusts God. So he did what God asked him to do. He says, go here. So he arrives at the gates of the village, and he sees the, wi the widow uh, gathering sticks, and he asks her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called her, bring me a bite of bread, too. So, you know, the, the way he was sustained, water and bread, right? The raven in the brook is gone, and he asked her to bring it to him. But she said, I swear, verse 12, by the Lord, your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be, I think this should be the motto of, for us for the rest of 2021. I believe that the Lord is speaking 
to us, even just the few of us here today, but to this church, to the heart of this church. This is his message for us as we go into this next year's. I think that we are going to see some things that we don't like and some things in this nation we don't like until it turns. If the nation turns, then we can come back to what maybe was considered normal. If it does not turn, the Bible is clear and we are going to uh, enter some cursings, whether we like that or not. But God is going to take care of his people and we're going to keep pleading and keep praying and keep seeking God, keep seeing his face all along, aren't we? We're not going to stop seeking God and asking for a change in a turn. And ultimately, we'll look at that next week where Elijah deals with some things. And we're going to deal with some things too, but we need to learn to trust him right now before you deal with anything. You need to learn to trust God before you can deal with anything in the land. right? We have to have him as God of our nation, that's us, before we can then go out and demand that he's God of the nation. So what's happening right now is the nation, God is actually... This is a chance for the church, really, to be reignited and to remember who God is again. How can we expect the world to change and the world to turn to God when they look at the church and most of the church doesn't even know who God is? And the God's become all these different things and whatever you want him to be and we just accept you like you are and you could be anything and anybody and then we wonder why the world is not changed. So God deals with us first if we want the nation to change, got to deal with us. And that's what's happening here. And I just, I wrote this simple little uh, line down. What's happening here is Elijah learned the personal, and now he's learning the local. And ultimately, before you go national, it, you have to deal with personal and local. It's him, and now it's going to be him having to trust God together, because that's the key. It was never meant to be by yourself. There's so much about our, our faith and our Christianity that is solo in one respect, because ultimately it's going to be you standing before the great white throne of judgment. It's your heart. But ultimately that's really, you need to get that strong and rock solid and have your own personal time, but we are meant to be connected with others. That's where a true strength comes. Because actually what happens is some things are going to improve for Elijah and for the widow. And this is what happens. He says, and here we go. Here's our motto for 2021 and into this next season. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always Verse 16, so the word came, verse 16 is a promise fulfilled, because here's the testimony, because he's writing the book in the future, he's writing it after the story already happened, we're just retelling it, so he tells us the prophecy, and here's the prophecy fulfilled, verse 16, there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Those who trust God and put him first, in fact, what they learned was this, what she learned is Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And really what Elijah, when he came in, he was representing God in that moment, and he said, give it to me first. You trust, you give it to me, because he was representing as God's representative as Elijah, which literally means the light of God, right? Elijah's the light of God. Dawn, tell me. The definition of Elijah. Huh? Jehovah is God. Yeah. God's light. 
Jehovah is God. Basically, his name is declaring that God is God. And so he told her, put God first when he said to give me bread first. If you give me bread first, you'll always have bread. Put God first, Matthew 6, 33. You seek him first above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Everything you need, no matter what. It does not come with stipulations. He doesn't say, unless there's a famine, then you're out of luck. Unless the nation turns evil, then you're just going to have to suffer with them. No, we're going to trust in God and not trust. We're going to keep praying for this nation and pray for this president and pray that they turn to God. But in the meantime, we're going to bypass their evil and turn to God himself. Amen. And look to him. And he's going to take care of us and sustain us. And actually what happened is this. The circumstances actually improved. We learn a solo Christianity. We learn to trust him internally. That's, that's his personal. But when we get together corporately, when he and the widow join together, when they join forces in believing God together, now it was actually bread. Think about this. It actually improved. So... I don't know if the raven just like took scraps and carried it to him. I don't know where the raven got it from because there wasn't. But you know how birds feed, right? You know how birds feed their little birdies? <laughs> the little birdie opens its mouth and the bird throws up in the baby's mouth. Hey, but he lived. He lived. <laughs> it was living. Come on, guys. Who wants the Lord's blessing? That was the Lord's blessing. He lived. Hey, listen, others were dying. You want to live? But listen, when he decided to join together, when they joined, when he followed God, he trusted God, she trusted God. They joined forces and say, yes, God's first in this house. And when that happened, something supernatural happened. Now there was olive oil. There was no oil. The oil is awesome because, first of all, the oil can be on the bread. Gives a little bit of taste to that bread, but also it gives some sustenance. Also, it could be for your hair and your body. It was dry. They're in a, they're in a famine. You know what oil could, would be like when you're completely dried out from head to toe? And so the Lord improved. He gave them water. He gave them food. And he gave them housing. He went from the side of a brook now to a house. So the Lord actually improved it when they trusted God. So I just felt like from the Lord that, that there was this. This is the way I'll sum it up. When there's a drought, there's a stream. When there's no food, there's a raven. When the stream dries and the raven flies, remember this is not forever. God will lead you to another place of provision. And maybe God was taking care of you, teaching you to depend on him. Then when you are fully reliant on God, he wants you to teach what you've learned to take care of someone else through you. Amen. Amen. Who got something out of that today, I hope? Amen. We just thank you, Lord God. We just praise you, Lord, for your word. I thank you there's life in your word. And I thank you for this story of Elijah. Lord, we're going to keep digging into him and be encouraged by this man that trusted you and lived for you in the time, Lord, really hell on earth for him. But he pushed through and trusted you during this time, and you sustained him and sustained your people. We thank you, God, that you're going to do the same for us. We pray for this nation again, Lord, today, right now. We just pray for this nation. And we lift up, Lord, the governments, Lord, all the layers of it.
down, Lord. We lift them up, and we pray for them. I pray that they will turn, but God, even if it takes some time for them to turn, you're going to take care of your people during this time. You are not going to leave us. Lord, we're going to be filled with so much hope. It might be strategy. We might be in places or doing things in ways we didn't expect, but I thank you, God, you are going to sustain us and take care of us in the name of Jesus. Amen.